A few weeks ago, it was the, the Dubbo mud run. Uh, I got convinced to give it a go. I was very sceptical at first, wasn't sure I was up for a 13-kilometre run through mud and gunk, but it turned out to be fantastic, uh, easier than I thought, a whole heap of fun, and, man, did we get dirty. <laughs> About halfway through the course, you get to the really muddy obstacles. There's, you know, there's tunnels you have to crawl through where you're slushing through the mud on your hands and knees. There's mud pits you have to jump into. You end up up to your knees in mud. Then you've got to climb up out of the pit through this slippery uh, slope. After one obstacle, I uh, looked down at my legs as we were trudging along the path, and I couldn't see them. My legs were literally covered in mud. I could not see one bit of my skin. We were filthy. Along the way, there were four or five times where we had to swim in the river. The last swim was in Sandy Beach. It was after the really muddy section of the course. We'd been jogging along for a bit after the mud pits and the tunnels. The sun was starting to get pretty warm, and so we were hot. We were filthy. The mud was starting to stick as it dried on our skin in the sun and then we got to Sandy Beach and we could jump in, cool down and get clean. Well, kind of clean. But even being clean-ish at that time, it was a great feeling. But the best was when I got home, of course, and I could have a nice fresh shower and I could wash it all off completely. There is something wonderful, isn't there, about being clean, especially after you've got yourself filthy. This morning, we're thinking about being washed clean. Not physically clean. I'm not going to give you, you know, top 10 tips on how to have a good shower. No, the clean we're thinking about this morning is the idea of not having any guilt, not having any shame, having nothing to be embarrassed about. The idea that we could stand before God without any fear because we're clean. Now, I don't know about you, but there are things in my life that I will not tell you about. There are things that I've said and done I am too ashamed to admit. Now, I know none of us are perfect and that most of us are willing to admit at least some of our mistakes, but are you like me in that there's certain things in your life that haunt you? You know, certain things you've done, but you won't tell anyone about because, like me, you're too ashamed. It might be a single decision that you made. And in that moment, you lost something or destroyed something or said something and you can never take it back. It might be the way you treated someone over an extended period of time and the memory of what you said and did to that person, it just fills you with shame. It might be a lie that you told that got out of hand and you've spent the rest of your life trying to cover it up. It might be something you're currently caught up in, a secret in your life, and the thought of being exposed is frightening. Do you have anything in your life that fills you with guilt And shame. Is there anything that you wish could just be washed away? The bit of the Bible we're looking at today is all about Jesus saying that He can wash us clean. He can give you a clean slate. He can take all your guilt and shame. He can take all your filth and muck and He can make you as white as snow. That before God Himself, you can be clean. 
safe and secure with God now and forever. So friends, let's take a look. The bit of the Bible we're looking at, as uh, Roger said for us, it's from John's biography of Jesus. We're jumping into chapter 13, so very quickly, heads up, where are we up to in the book? Uh, It's the night before Jesus is executed. Uh, Jesus knows that he's about to die. In chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples and they're getting ready to eat their last, sorry, their evening meal. And Jesus knows that this will be his last meal with his friends. It is time for the end. I'm now going to read verses 1 to 3. You can see the words there on the inside of your bulletin. And as I read these verses, listen out for the different ways that we're told that it's time for things to be wrapped up. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Do you get a sense of the curtain about to come down on Jesus? In verse 1, Jesus knows that it's time for him to leave this world. It's time for him to go back to the Father. In verse 2, the devil's already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. That sounds pretty ominous. And in verse 3, Jesus knows that he's come from God and is about to return to God. Right through John's biography, Jesus has been saying that he's come from God, that God sent him to earth on a mission a mission to save the world, and here we're told it's just about time to wrap things up, to finish his mission and then return back to God. And so we are coming now to something of a climax of the book. We are being set up here for the grand finale, the one who's been personally sent by God himself to save the world, and finally it's time for him to do what he was sent for. This is bigger than big. This is the God-sent rescuer of the world on the cusp of his great act of salvation. And so, verse 4, look at it there. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And friends, I don't know about you, but that seems like a bit of a letdown. That's a bit of a fizzer. You know, given the build-up of John's book so far and what we just read in verses 1 to 3, it's time for Jesus to save the world and it seems that what Jesus was sent by God to do was wash his disciples' feet. I'm not sure I get it. You know, it doesn't look like a big act of salvation to me. It doesn't seem to accomplish anything apart from giving 12 guys clean feet and one guy smelly hands. Now, apart from being a little odd, for the disciples, this would have been shocking, offensive even. Because in Jesus' day, you know, washing someone's feet, that was something you got your servants to do for you. And even then, most servants didn't have to wash people's feet because it was only the lowest of the servants who were left with that disgusting job, you know, bottom of the rung, lowest of the low, and Jesus definitely wasn't that. He was recognised by many as a teacher or a rabbi. He had some standing in the eyes of the people and his disciples even called him Lord. In Jesus' day, someone of higher status 
never washed the feet of someone lower than them. It just wasn't done. It was way too humiliating. And yet here, Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the Lord, he washes his disciples' feet. Now, pardon the pun, but if we were to put our feet in the disciples' shoes for a minute, okay, for Jesus to wash their feet, that is just unthinkable. That's the last thing you would think would happen. It's a little bit like me uh, visiting Parliament House in Canberra, and I go to the public toilets in the lobby, and as I walk in, Scott Morrison walks out of one of the cubicles with cleaning gear. And he sees me walk in and he looks up and he says that he'll be finished cleaning the toilets in a jiffy. You know, sorry for the inconvenience, I won't be a sec. And then he heads in to clean the next toilet. It's never going to happen. <laughs> He's the PM. He doesn't clean the toilets of Parliament House. It's that kind of level of, as if that would happen, that we've got here with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And so not surprisingly, the disciples jack up or at least one of them does, one of Jesus' disciples was a bloke named Peter. And he wasn't going to have a bar of this. There was no way he was going to let Jesus wash his feet. Look at it there in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said. You shall never wash my feet. See, Peter understands that Jesus is a man of greatness. Peter respects Jesus. He reveres him. And so there's no way Peter's going to let Jesus wash his feet. Now, in verse 7, Jesus gives us his first hint that there's more going on here than just washing his disciples' feet. Did you catch it in verse 7? Jesus says that Peter doesn't understand what's happening, but that later... He will. Something's going to happen a little later that'll make sense of all of this. And so right now, Jesus washing Peter's feet might seem outrageous to him, but in a little while it'll click into place. For now, though, Peter doesn't get it. And so he's digging in his heels. You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus does know what this is all about. He knows that for Peter's sake, he has to wash him. And so Jesus tells Peter that if he is to have anything to do with him, then he has got to let Jesus wash his feet. Halfway through verse 8, look at it there. Halfway through verse 8, we read, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, Jesus is seriously upping the stakes here, isn't he? He's making this foot washing compulsory. He's basically saying to Peter, if you want to have any part with me, if you want to be included in what I'm doing, if you're going to be in on my God-sent mission to save the world, then I have to wash you. Because if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now, this pulls Peter into line quick, smart. He desperately wants to be in on what Jesus is doing and so he does a complete flip verse 9 we read then Lord Simon Peter replied not just my feet but my hands and my head as well it's a little bit like Peter saying grab the bucket Jesus pour it all over me 
You know, if you've got to wash me, then wash all of me, head to toe, grab the scrubbing brush if you have to, do whatever you need to do, wash me all over. It's a little bit ridiculous what he's saying. And from what Jesus says next, it's clear Peter still doesn't understand what's going on. Look at it there from verse 10. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath and he's only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. Clearly, the being clean that Jesus is talking about here is not to do with having a bath. We're told that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and that's what made Judas unclean. Not his dirty feet, but that he would betray Jesus. So it's not to do with being physically clean. It's not about the water. It's not about your skin. Jesus washing his disciples' feet is symbolism. Jesus here is giving his disciples and us, he's giving us a giant visual aid because he wants us to understand what's about to happen to him. We've been told, remember, he's about to return to God. The time had come for him to do what he was sent to do and Jesus doesn't want us to miss it. He's going to save the world. He wants you in on this. But it's going to be a little bit hard to understand because the very next day he's going to be arrested, condemned and brutally executed. And this will somehow be his great act of salvation for the world. It's not the easiest thing to get your head around. And so Jesus washes his disciples' feet to illustrate it. So what does the washing of the disciples' feet show us? Well, first up, it shows that Jesus is willing to serve. Even though he's the Lord, he willingly stooped down to the lowest level. Forget washing their feet. Jesus was even willing to die by crucifixion for us. And the washing of the disciples' feet also shows us that Jesus would serve us in order to make us clean. That's what his death is all about. He died to make us clean. Because what he was doing when he died was he was taking on himself all our failings for all the ways that we've let ourselves down and the ways that we've let others down, for the hurt we've caused, for the damage we've done, for the loss we've inflicted. Friends, we know in ourselves that we have failed. But Jesus says it only gets worse because not only are we unclean in our own minds, God sees right through everything we have ever said or thought or done. He knows all of our darkest secrets. He knows everything about us. He is God. And we have all tragically failed to honour him as God. We've ignored him. We've just carried on life as if he's not even there. Spurned him, rejected him. Friends, like I said at the start, I've got my skeletons in the closet and I am not willing to bring them out into the open with you. But do you think we can hide anything from God? 
One day we will all stand before him and the secrets of our hearts will be laid bare before him. We'll be completely exposed for who we truly are. And if you stand before God with all your guilt and shame, you have absolutely no chance of surviving that day. Just like with anyone in authority. There's consequences for going against them. And we are talking about every single one of us being guilty before the one who made us and owns us. And so what every single one of us needs, what I need, what you need, is a way of being made clean, of having all our muck and guilt to be washed away. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Friends, are you hearing the good news here? Jesus took all our guilt, all our shame. He took on himself all our failings and he died in our place. He took the punishment that our lives deserve. He took all our muck and he took it all away. Jesus can make you clean. And he's the only one who can make you clean. Like he said to Peter... Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The only way anyone can be made clean before God is if Jesus is the one who washes you clean. And so if you want, if you want to be able to come before God completely cleansed of all your guilt and all your shame, the decision, friends, is easy. Just ask Jesus to take it all away. You might have heard this reference during the week uh, on ABC radio. Back in the 1840s, as a uh, doctor, uh, Ignaz Semmelweis, he was working in a hospital in Vienna, and he noticed that in two separate maternity wards, women were much more likely to die in one ward than the other. The ward that had the doctors attending it had a death rate five times higher than the ward with the midwives. And so Semmelweis set about trying to work out what the difference was. First, he thought it was about the birthing position. That ended up making no difference, of course. Then he thought it was because of the priest who was walking through the doctor's ward, ringing his bell, and that maybe that was frightening the women to death. So he got the priest to stop ringing the bell. That made no difference. Eventually, he made the connection. It was that the doctors delivering babies also performed autopsies. And without washing their hands, the doctors were passing particles from the dead bodies to the women. And what do you know? The women would get infected and die. So Semmelweis ordered his medical staff to start cleaning their hands and their instruments in a chlorine solution. And what do you know? The death rates come tumbling down. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that working out a way to drastically reduce death rates in a hospital, that'd be met with thunderous applause, surely? No. Uh, People wrongly considered that his theory had no basis and the doctors, they didn't like the accusation that they were contributing to the women dying and so it wasn't until some 20 years later when Louis Pasteur comes along with his germ theory that Semmelweis was recognised as being right. Friends, here's the rub. People were told of a way to be clean, a way that could save lives. The decision should have been easy. Wash your hands before surgery. 
You know, when you know the dirt and the disease that's on your hands and you're going to a place where you need to be perfectly clean, what do you do? You get clean beforehand. It's obvious. But they turn their back on it. And as a result, well, who knows how many thousands of people needlessly died. For you and I, we know the dirt and the muck of our own hearts. We know the guilt and the shame of our own lives. And we are all going to a place where we need to be perfectly clean. We will all stand before God himself. And so what should we do? We should get clean beforehand. It's obvious. So don't turn your back on Jesus. He's already died for all we've done against God. He can wash us clean. He can take all of your guilt, all of your shame. He can take all your filth. And he can take it all away. And as Jesus said to Peter, if you want any part of him, then Jesus has to wash you clean. Because he's the only one who can cleanse you and bring you safely before God. It's why he died. And so all you need to do is ask. You just need to come to him, admit your failings, He already knows them all and simply ask him for forgiveness and he'll wash you clean so that you can be safe with him. He'll forgive you of everything now and forever. Do you want to do that now? Do you want to be cleansed of everything you have ever done? Let's talk to God now. Let's admit our guilt and receive his forgiveness. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, asking for God's forgiveness because of what Jesus has already done for us. If you want to be made clean, simply say the words that I say in the quietness of your own mind. I'm going to say this prayer just one sentence at a time and then I'll leave a pause so that you can speak to God yourself. Friends, let's pray. Lord God, I admit I've made mistakes. I know I've ignored you and rejected you. I've lived as if I'm in charge. I know I'm guilty before you. I'm sorry for all I've done. Thank you that Jesus died in my place so I could be washed clean. Please forgive me. Please change me that I would live with you as my God. Amen. Friends, if you've prayed that kind of prayer this morning, and it's kind of like you know the first time you've come clean, if I can put it like that, come clean before God and admitted your guilt and asked for his forgiveness, God's promise to you is that right now you are clean. You may feel a massive weight being lifted off your shoulders that you are 
clean before God, you may feel no difference whatsoever. The feelings don't really matter. The truth is, God says, if you have asked him to wash you clean and to forgive you of all your sins, his promise is that you are clean and you are forgiven.